Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. There's a... You should celebrate yourself every day, but some days you should celebrate with jewelry. Whether you want to commemorate an unforgettable moment or just bring some added sparkle to your collection, Blue Nile can offer you expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com today and experience the ease and convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com. BlueNile.com. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Ranger at the National Park, I was accustomed to the routines and responsibilities that came with a job. Locking up for the night was one such task, and on this particular evening, I leaned against my trusty truck, savoring the last drag of my cigarette. With a flick, I extinguished the butt and made my way to the main office. Inside, I diligently switched on the security cameras and motion sensors that safeguarded the small complex. The park's tranquility at night was both soothing and eerie. I knew I had only one loop to run before I could call it a night myself. The forest was peaceful, with only the occasional rustle of leaves to break the silence. The clearings created by past fires and the axis road that ran along each side of them offered a serene beauty, even in the dim light. My mind was at ease as I walked along the well-worn trail, checking for any signs of trouble or disturbance. Then something caught my eye as I glanced south down the road. There, at one of the campsites, stood a lone figure. It appeared too short to be an adult, and the way it moved seemed unnatural. My heart skipped a beat as I dropped my cigarette, extinguishing it under my boot without breaking my gaze. Instinctively, I reached for the radio on my belt and began making my way towards the mysterious figure. I had heard my fair share of strange reports from campers and hikers, but this felt different. The superstitions about monsters in national parks came to mind, but I tried to suppress such thoughts. With each step, my heart raced, and I felt a mix of fear and excitement. As I got closer, I realized the figure had disappeared, leaving behind only a burnt, 
out campfire. Puzzled, I scanned the clearing, looking for any clues. The night was calm, and the moonlight cast an ethereal glow over the scene. There was no sign of anyone else around, and the silence felt almost suffocating. Campfires were strictly forbidden in this area, which only added to my sense of unease. As I returned to my truck, a wave of curiosity washed over me. This was just one of the many strange occurrences that rangers had to deal with in the park. Reports came in, but most could be easily explained as people engaging in reckless behavior. However, there were always those few reports that defied explanation. They lingered in the back of my mind, reminding me that there might be more to this world than we can comprehend. And I was eager to share these mysteries with others, hoping to uncover the truth behind these enigmatic encounters in the wilderness. As I drove back to the main office, I couldn't help but wonder what other peculiar stories awaited me in this vast national park. I was determined to keep my eyes and ears open, ready to face whatever strange and inexplicable phenomena lay ahead. My nickname is Detective Mark Smith. I'm a civil servant working in the South Carolina State Park Service Police Department. Recently, while on patrol at Santee State Park, I encountered an individual who claims to be part of the Lizard Man Task Force. It was approximately midnight when dispatch had sent us to investigate reports of somebody screaming from inside the park. We immediately responded. As we neared the location where the screams were last heard, our vehicle malfunctioned, losing all power along with most electrical equipment. This forced us to continue on foot following what appeared to be abandoned tire tracks leading into a heavily wooded area. The track seemed to belong to a mid-sized 4x4 SUV-type vehicle. We continued on foot as the scream, sounding like a young child, pleading for help from something unknown, grew closer. Suddenly the scream ceased, replaced by the growling sound of an unknown creature. I caught a glimpse of yellow eyes staring at us before it swiftly ran into the night. It took about an hour to find another officer who arrived with a tow truck to pull our car back onto the road. We then contacted dispatch to have it towed away for repair. By now it was 2.18 a.m. and we headed back to the station, feeling frustrated, tired, and somewhat scared. Upon our return, dispatch informed us of reports of another officer down, whom I'll call Officer James. Apparently, he had been attacked by a large, unknown animal. As we rushed to the scene, more screams were heard from a nearby neighborhood. People there were having their own encounters with this creature. We split into two teams, realizing the extreme aggression and danger this creature posed. Our equipment malfunctioned, causing delays and regrouping. Fortunately, all officers were physically unharmed but shaken. They described an eight-foot-tall creature with glowing yellow eyes, resembling a giant walking lizard. When we fired at it, the creature growled in a demonic tone and disappeared into the woods. Realizing the abnormal nature of the situation, we knew we needed to reassess our approach. We discovered massive footprints near where Officer James had been attacked. He was seriously injured and had to wait for help to arrive. That night, we first heard about the beings linked to the Lizard Man sightings, which had occurred across the state over the years. After that night, the details become hazy in my memory. However, I found myself taking a friend into Santee State Park to show him something called the Ritual Site. He believed it was connected to the Lizard Man or some sort of cult. We ventured into the woods, reaching an area where the attacks had occurred near the ritual site. Suddenly something large jumped out, with the same height and glowing eyes. It attacked my friend and knocked me unconscious in the process. When I woke up, I searched for my friend for hours, but he was nowhere to be found. Desperate, I approached a park ranger and explained what had happened. He suggested seeking more police assistance at the Santee State Park Ranger Station as they were experiencing more encounters with this creature. 
When we arrived at the station, the sheriff explained that they had been receiving numerous sightings of the lizard man. It became evident that the creature was very, very real. In June of 1947, multiple ships traversing the trade routes of Malacca, which is located between Sumatra and Malaysia, claimed to have picked up a series of SOS distress signals. The unknown ship's message was as simple as it was disturbing. All officers, including captain, are dead, lying in chart room and bridge, possibly whole crew dead. This communication was followed by a burst of indecipherable Morse code, then a final grim message, I die. This cryptic proclamation was followed by tomb-like silence. The crews that received the message were able to triangulate the source of these broadcasts and deduced that they were likely emanating from a Dutch freighter known as the Sarang Meddown. A merchant ship known as the Silver Star was closest to the presumed location of the Orang Medan, 400 nautical miles southeast of the Marshall Islands. Within hours, the Silver Star caught sight of the Orang Medan rising and falling in the choppy waters of the Malacca Strait. As the merchant craft neared the ill-omened vessel, the crew noticed that there was no sign of life on the deck. The man on the Silver Star began to call out and motion to the Orang Medan. There was no response. The captain of the Silver Star assembled a boarding party. The brave men boarded the ship and made a grisly discovery. The decks of the vessel were littered with the corpses of the Dutch crew. Their eyes wide, their arms grasping at unseen assailants, their faces twisted into revolting visages of agony and horror. Even the ship's dog was dead. Its once intimidating snarl frozen into a ghastly grimace. The boarding party found the captain's remains on the bridge, while his officers' cadavers were strewn about the wheelhouse and chart room. The communications officer was still at his post, as dead as the rest, his fingertips resting on the telegraph. All of the corpses, according to reports, bore the same terrified, wide-eyed expressions as the crew on deck. The temperature outside was 110 Fahrenheit but the search party reported feeling a cold chill in the nadir of the hold. The captain of the Silver Star decided that they would tether themselves to the Orang Medan and tow it back to port, but as soon as the crew attached the tow line to the Dutch ship, they noticed ominous billows of smoke pouring up from the number four hold. The boarding party scarcely had a chance to cut the tow line and make it back to the Silver Star before the Orang Medan exploded with such tremendous force that it lifted itself from the water and swiftly sank. The crew watched the Dutch vessel disappear beneath the briny depths. So what exactly happened? Theories have ranged from pirates to the paranormal. The most widely believed claim is that seawater could have entered the ship's hold, reacting with a perilous cargo to release poisonous gases, which then caused the crew to suffocate. At this point, the onrushing salt water might have reacted with the nitroglycerin, creating the explosive effect that was said to cause the ship's ultimate demise. The fact that there are no registration records for the Yaring Medan remains a troublesome detail. There have been many claims that records may have been eradicated by a savvy group of governmental conspirators due to the nature of the ship's mission. Nobody knows what happened to the Essayurang Medan except for the crew who now rest at the bottom of the ocean. I spent a lot of time stargazing as a kid, so one summer my stepdad bought me a really nice telescope with a camera objective to look at the moon and stars with. One night we went out to the hydroelectric dam 40 miles from the nearest town to get some telescopic pictures of the Milky Way. The moon was out in about half illumination without a cloud in the night sky. We were out there until 1 a.m. and we were packing up the telescope and other gear when something with a simply enormous wingspan sped silently over our heads. Very quickly, it was pitch black and cast a shadow on the ground from the moonlight. It was gone in almost an instant. We looked at each other and both exclaimed in harmony, What in the F was that? 
I've never heard of any kind of aircraft with a wingspan that large, or even one that could move in such complete silence. Even gliders make some kind of wind noise. We were far enough away from any airport or military base for anything to be flying that low. It was like something not of this world. It creeps me out to this day, some twenty years later. Last November, in the southern part of the Olympic Mountains, I embarked on a hiking adventure with my loyal dog. We had covered about ten miles when we decided to veer off the established trail and explore the untrodden wilderness. The dense brush challenged our progress, but we pressed on, driven by curiosity. As we waded our way through the thick foliage, my dog abruptly stopped and began lowering himself to the ground. I was taken aback by this unusual behavior, as I had never seen him act in such a manner before. Instinctively, I followed suit and crouched down beside him, trying to remain as still and silent as possible. In the midst of the tense silence, a sudden and distinct crunch shattered the tranquility, resonating from a point approximately twenty to thirty feet away. My heart skipped a beat, and I felt the adrenaline surge through my veins. My dog remained motionless beside me, his senses acutely attuned to the enigmatic sound. Time seemed to stretch as we held our breath, waiting anxiously for any sign of movement. Minutes passed, each one dragging like an eternity, until finally a figure emerged from the wilderness, just twenty feet away from our concealed position. It was a creature most similar to a Bigfoot. My eyes widened in disbelief as I witnessed the towering figure standing before me. The creature, often regarded as a figment of imagination, stood imposingly in the dappled sunlight filtering through the dense forest canopy. Without hesitation, the enigmatic being vanished into the depths of the woods, disappearing as quickly as it had appeared. I'm a night owl. I always stay up late at night and watch TV. I just happened to look out my window one night and saw what I initially thought was a man sitting on a roof. I thought it was a man because at first he looked almost naked, until I saw the hair or fur on him. He then turned his face, and what I saw then was frightening. He had pointed ears like a dog and a long snout. They were almost like a German shepherd's ears. I could not understand what I was looking at. I just stared at him for a few minutes. I felt like if I moved it would see me. It sat there on its butt with human-looking arms and legs, but with hair or fur covering them. I backed away from the window very slowly and went to tell my husband. He didn't want to get up and go look because he thought I was imagining it. I went back to the window and it was gone. I don't know or understand what I saw that night, but I did tell my husband and kids what I saw. It has haunted me for many years until I was just telling a few of my grandchildren recently at camp. One of them got on the computer and found some pictures of what they thought I meant. It was so scary. I was looking at the same thing I saw on the roof that night. I could not believe it. As I sit here looking at that picture, I did not know it really existed many, many years ago. Last week I went with a female friend to the Value Forest in the Netherlands hiking for two days and one night. We had a pretty intense encounter with an unknown cryptid. During the day we gathered during our break some lingon berries, which are now present in huge quantities. So when we finished hiking on the first day, we'd set up our tent somewhere in the middle of the dense forest. We like it that way, I suppose and the dark had set in, and the only light we had was from a little head torch, which we had hung around a branch. We were cooking the lingonberries, not realizing that the scent could attract something. After maybe five minutes of cooking, I heard something, a big cryptid, move some leaves, and already whispered to my friend, We have got company. The sound disappeared for a minute or so, and... Suddenly, the most long-stretched, deep, moaning grunt came out of the blackness, maybe from about ten to fifteen meters or so. The blood froze in my veins. 
but when it repeated a couple of times, I realized that I had to do something, because this F wanted to eat from our stuff and maybe fight us for it. So I walked to the nearest bush, rattled it wildly, and yelled to the predator. That looked like Yeti to get the hell away. A few seconds later, we heard it take off in the most relaxed manner. My friend stepped next to me, and I took her hand and places it over my heart region on my chest. It was pounding wildly. It was really intense, and within the next couple of minutes, we decided that we are the cool type of crazy for enjoying this kind of stuff. Around 2007, I used to go hiking in remote parts of India. Once I was visiting a friend of mine working in a very remote village. Back then, the village had no electricity. I've been to this village a couple of times before. It's a long bus journey to reach the nearest road that leads to the village. This road itself is pretty secluded and sees only two buses a day. It's a four-mile walk through the fields to reach the village. I got down the bus in the middle of the night. I started walking down the fields to the village. It's a full moon day, so there was enough light to walk without any flashlights. It was a very cold day, but I was feeling dehydrated from the bus journey. I walked to the nearest well in a farm to get some water. Once I finished drinking, I started walking back and looked at a really huge tree nearby, and I was terrified to see a young lady sitting under the tree. With bulged out eyes looking right at me, I was frightened at the sight, but tried to ask aloud what she doing there at that time. But she didn't reply, and was just looking at me with no movement. It's a mile from there to the village, and I started running at full speed. When I reached the village, I was running fever, and it took me a day to fully recover from that shock. Later, I've been told that it's a tradition in that village neither to bury nor to cremate a woman when she dies pregnant, but just to leave the body outside the village after a ritual. Was with my dad back in the early 2000s. Saw a few things and wasn't sure about others. Creepy with construction, took a detour off 75 going to Lexington, Kentucky around 11 p. Mish in the summer. Clear night, but once we hit that detour, the whole road got cloudy. Light fog surrounded us. There was a road we took that had only houses on the right side of the road and a huge cornfield as tall as the doors on the left. Weird thing was that every house had candles on their windows. Street lights were working but there were only two down that road. We came to a dead end, and so we turned around. Now I'm facing the cornfields. Swore I saw something tall running in there. The whole route through there. My dad and I stayed quiet until we found a route back to the highway. Dad, that was creepy. Yeah. What the eff? Other times I saw a giant shadow moving in an open field while we were unloading. I looked up, nothing, not a single cloud or bird in sight. I've also seen in daylight a silver speck flying incredibly fast in the sky, just with the clouds. No jet stream, no sound. It cleared on half of the city in about 15, 20 seconds and halfway through. It just disappeared in a cloud, like it went straight into a cloud and didn't come out. I was just waiting for it to show, but nothing. I've always been fascinated by cryptids, creatures of folklore and mystery that exist on the fringes of our understanding. My friends and I often ventured into the backwoods of Montana, hoping to catch a glimpse of these elusive beings. But never in my wildest dreams did I expect to encounter something so eerie and inexplicable. The other night, our curiosity led us deeper into the forest than we had ever ventured before. As we trekked through the darkness, we heard strange yelps echoing through the trees, sending shivers down our spines. We knew we were not alone, and the hair on the back of our necks stood on end. And then we saw it, an intense yellow light glowing amidst the shadows. It danced and flickered, illuminating the surrounding foliage. It was like nothing we had ever seen before. 
and it seemed to move with an almost intelligent purpose. Fear and fascination battled within us as we stood there, transfixed by the mysterious light and the eerie sounds that accompanied it. We couldn't tear our eyes away, even though every instinct told us to run. It was as if the forest itself had come alive, and we were intruders in a realm we could not comprehend. Eventually, the intensity of the experience overwhelmed us, and we turned on our heels, fleeing from the strange phenomenon. We rushed back to the safety of civilization, our hearts pounding in our chests. We were shaken, unsure of what we had just witnessed. Back in the safety of our homes, we tried to rationalize what we had seen. Was it some kind of natural phenomenon? A trick of the light, or perhaps an elaborate prank? But deep down, we knew it was something else, something beyond our understanding. Despite the fear, our curiosity remained unquenched. We couldn't let this encounter go without further investigation. So, we made a bold decision. We would return to the backwoods of Montana on Friday night, determined to unravel the mystery and perhaps catch another glimpse of the enigmatic yellow light. As Friday approached, we prepared ourselves mentally and emotionally for the upcoming adventure. We equipped ourselves with flashlights, cameras, and any gear that might help us document and understand this strange encounter. Our hearts raced as we entered the forest once again, this time under the veil of night. The memories of the previous night's encounter lingered, but our determination pushed us forward. We moved cautiously following the same path we had taken before. The night was dark and quiet, with only the sounds of the wilderness surrounding us. As we ventured deeper, anticipation mingled with trepidation. And then, just as we hoped, the faint glow of the yellow light emerged from the depths of the forest. Holding our breaths, we approached slowly, determined to observe without disturbing whatever lay before us. The yelps echoed once more, and the yellow light danced, captivating us once again. But this time we were prepared. We documented everything. Video footage, photographs, audio recordings. We were determined to gather as much evidence as possible to help us understand this cryptic presence. As the night wore on, we remained vigilant, hoping to witness more clues that might reveal the truth. Behind this elusive phenomenon, time seemed to blur as we stayed hidden, waiting and observing until the first light of dawn began to break through the trees. Exhausted and exhilarated, we emerged from the forest with a sense of accomplishment. We hadn't solved the mystery, but we had collected valuable data that might lead us closer to the truth. Now, as we analyze the evidence and share our experiences, our journey into the backwoods of Montana continues. The thrill of the unknown drives us forward, and we remain determined to uncover the secrets hidden within the darkness of the forest. Who knows what other cryptids and mysteries await us in the vast wilderness? The adventure has only just begun. Hello. I'm reporting that these entities were in my home on November 15, 2016 in Peoria, Illinois. I awoke around 2.30 a.m. to see three beings standing at my bedroom door. They are translucent, soft light emanating from their bodies. I sat up in my bed and stared intently. My impression was of a mother with a child. She was tall and lean with olive-colored dark eyes. She had long arms and no clothing. I could not see any specific genital shapes. Her mouth was narrow with an oval-shaped face. No hair on her body. The child entity stood next to her mother, holding her leg. The child was up to her hips. I felt this was a boy. Same appearance, but smaller and stout with arms and legs. The eyes were very large and looking at me as if this was its first time seeing a human being. The third entity stood behind them. Same soft light emanating from the body. At this point, I could tell all three bodies were floating like a hologram. The third entity was different in that on top of its head were these antennas with olive-colored eyes. There must have been eight or so of these attached to the head and looked like part of the scalp. I thought this being was a scout and the antennas were cameras. 
I tried to get up out of bed, and the beings turned their backs and floated down the hallway and disappeared. I thought, okay, that was a strange experience. Around 3 a.m. the next evening, the being with the antenna on the head appeared standing in my hall near my coat closet and hanging onto the woodwork. I looked up and waved my hand. It matched my hand wave, and a slight smile, like a Mona Lisa smile, appeared on its face. I tried to get up, and it disappeared. I could only describe the movement of the beings as watching seaweed floating in the ocean. They were opaque, but I could see through them. I remember feeling joy unlike any other, an overwhelming sense of love and wonderment. It was a marvelous experience. I wished to remain anonymous. My family would not believe me. I have told two close friends. Whether they believe or not, I do not care. I felt like sharing. I believe these beings walk among us at this moment, observing us. Maybe they are here. To help or just waiting to pick up the pieces after we're departed. When I was about 14 or 15 years old, my parents went out for a date night and I was watching my little sister, who was about 12. She wanted to go next door to watch a movie with her friend. Her friend's mom worked nights, so she was there alone. I told her fine. Around midnight or so, she calls the house crying, telling me to come over and help, and hung up. I had no idea what was going on, so I ran over there and busted through the front door, screaming their names. They didn't answer, and I found them sitting on the ground in the corner of the kitchen, literally freaking out. They told me that the pantry door slammed by itself while they were in the living room. The living room and kitchen are connected, but separated by a counter, so they watched it happen. I thought they were full of shit and just were watching a scary movie and convinced themselves they saw it. Almost immediately after that, a door upstairs shuts. I heard it and told them it was probably just a window that was left open that caused it to happen. I was so convinced that was it. I had them follow me upstairs to check. I wish. I had never done that because we checked every room and no windows were open. Kind of confused, we headed back downstairs. I make it maybe four steps down with a door. At the top of the stairs opens and slams shut like someone kicked it shut. Hi, everyone. I don't normally make posts like this, but this is a very strange occurrence that I just had the urge to share. I do consider myself spiritual, but I am in no way religious or actively practicing anything. Yesterday, I was in my bedroom with my younger sister, and I was braiding her hair. It was taking a long time, and I really had to use the bathroom, so I told her to give me a minute, and I walked out. It's important to keep in mind I didn't tell her where I was going, what I was doing, or how long I would be gone. I just got up and went straight to the bathroom. I was in there for about ten minutes because I had gotten into an argument with my friend over text, which is important to note because it doesn't normally take me long to use the bathroom. After I'm finished, I walk out of the bathroom to wash my hands. Our sink is on the outside. When I walked out, I was in direct view of my sister, because the sink is across from my bedroom door. As I was washing my hands, I noticed she was staring at me with a perplexed look on her face, so I asked her what was wrong. She calmly asked me how I could have walked out the bathroom. This was a very oddly worded question, so I asked her what she meant. She asked me, weren't you just in the living room? And I told her, no, I've been in the bathroom the whole time. My sister began to look very sick as she told me, I just talked to you in the living room. When did you walk in the bathroom? In a very concerned tone, I insisted to her that I did not enter the living room, and since I had gotten up and walked out of my bedroom, there was no point in which I had entered the living room. I asked her what I had said to her when she saw me in the living room. She tells me that she saw me sitting on the couch with my hands neatly folded, and I was staring off into space. She then told me that I had a very disturbed and concerned look on my face, which prompted her to ask me what was wrong, to which she claims I responded nothing in an eerie tone. 
My sister claims that she, the me she had seen, looked just like me. My hair was in a loose bun. I was wearing my same gray shirt and old red pajama pants. My face was the same. Everything was the same. But it wasn't me. I know it wasn't me because I have no recollection of that happening. I was in the bathroom the entire time. To st- Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Attracted by my heated discussion. I have no idea how this happened, but my sister told me after our exchange she felt nauseous, like something was off. I'm not sure what to make of this. I am a pretty rational person and have heard stories like this before. I want to look into possible carbon monoxide poisoning because it has been known to cause hallucinations, however. Only my sister has experienced this. Neither me nor my roommate have seen anything out of the ordinary. We've been theorizing about parallel universes, possession, demons, curses, but we really don't know what's going on and are just looking for some answers. On my first and only backcountry hike, me and two much more experienced friends set up camp at 9,000 feet in the southern Sierra Nevada. The first day we saw a black bear cub wandering around the other side of a small lake, which was a little tense, but we didn't see any other bears the rest of the hike. That night we all ate and then crashed early, but I'm a light sleeper, and the altitude was messing with me. As I'm trying to read with my headlamp, I start to hear some low moaning sounds. It sounded like the groaning movie sound effects when a huge storm is brewing close to a ship as the winds whipped up. After a few minutes, I called out from my tent to my two friends. What the F is that? Not completely sure it wasn't a bear. They both immediately acknowledge they are alarmed as well. We all open our tent flaps and just watch as the winds get stronger and stronger. The trees at our altitude were sparse, but there were a few huge ones circling our site. The ground we were on was mostly settled granite slag and boulders, and we were 1,000 feet from the top of a very long and very narrow canyon, probably a half mile wide. There's probably a better geographic term for it. There were five of these canyons all descending from a 10,000-foot peak. This sound increased until the wind picked up enough to tell us it was a huge storm of some kind. No clouds, no rain, just torrential winds. The wind at our ground level was not extreme, but the sound of what was going on above us was insane. Every now and then a blast of wind would shudder through our campsite but the tops of the trees above us were swaying so severely that the trunks were moaning as loud as a car going by. Debris was falling all around us, big enough to render us all silent, even though we could hear each other because there was nothing we could do. I will never forget that sound. It almost sounded like a huge steel tanker crashing against rocks with a low growl and a high-pitched squeal. With every growl came a huge gust of wind that plunged down the rocky slope in a vortex that passed maybe a hundred feet over our heads. I'll never forget watching those treetops bend to a frightening angle, and then the residual blast of air that hit a few seconds later. This is a story from my mother and younger sister, who I will refer to. 
as is in this post. It happened in Brooklyn, New York in the late 90s. I was in the second or third grade. This was around four years old. We had a back porch overlooking a small fenced yard and lawn. We'd get the occasional regular-sized praying mantis. According to S. one day, she was playing in the yard while my mom was hanging laundry up on the back porch. Apparently, this thing just suddenly materialized right there in the middle of the yard because S. says she turned around and there it was. She just stared at it for a few moments, not sure if it was a toy or what. She said it looked like a two-and-a-half to three-foot-long praying mantis with big red eyes and tiny black pinpricks for pupils. When the fear finally hit her, it ran up the stairs shouting for Mom. All she could express at the time was that it was a big bug. My mom barely reacted aux because kids get scared by normal bugs all the time. Well, the damn thing followed us up the stairs. For so long, I've imagined what that must have looked like. It's convinced my mom to go inside with her. That's when mom finally saw it. While she and S were watching it from inside through the mesh door, the praying mantis perched itself in one of the chairs on the porch. Not like on the top of the back cushion or on the armrest or something, just in the chair proper. When my mom went looking for a camera, all at once it just disappeared. I asked if it flew away, but neither of them have an answer. It was gone as instantly as it showed up. When my dad brought me home from school around a half hour later, they were still hiding behind the mesh door, looking terrified. I never got this full version of the story till S was older. For years, she would become hysterical if she ever saw a praying mantis or even the image of one. I wonder about what this thing could be, or why it only showed itself to Mom and S. I do know, however, that as I got older, I found that my mother was a very abusive woman and Anne said, I believe suffered the most because of it. Makes me wonder if one of the people I've told this story to is right about it being a demon, or at least a bad omen. About seven years ago, camping with my future wife by a small lake a few lakes over into Crown Land, government-owned but not park land in Canada, near my family cottage. We'd cleared a bit of brush right on the shore of the lake for our tent, set up camp, ate, hung our food, and went into the tent to sleep. Middle of the night, I wake up to the sound of something huge moving through the bush nearby. It got closer and closer and sped up a bit, crashed through some brush, probably no more than four, five feet from the tent, and kept going. Eventually, close to daybreak, we did get back to sleep, and in the morning we found a trail of trampled bush and unknown scat not far from where we were sleeping. I go camping quite a lot. And by camping, I mean in the middle of nowhere. This one time, I was trying out my new hammock on a five-day backpacking trip near Minden, Ontario. As I lay there one night thinking of the next day, this weird banging noise, like if someone was hitting a stick on the tree, startled me. It sounded like it was maybe ten feet from me, but I couldn't see anything, and with my hammock, I can see pretty much everything around me. The moon was so bright that if anything was around, I could easily see it. I couldn't, so I decided to go to bed. Fast forward an hour later, I hear the same thing, except this time it was closer and louder. I decided to investigate, but as soon as I moved the hammock, this thing about eight feet tall emerged from the tree line and slowly walked past my hammock about four feet from me, disappearing down a grassy hill on my left. To this day, I don't know what it was, but all I know is that I almost shat my pants. So two stories both from my dad, who is an avid outdoorsman, hunter, and fisherman. Early bow season, he went out scouting for white tail. He walked around from dawn till about midday until he came to a large clearing. Inside of this clearing, he noticed what he claims to be hundreds of 55-gallon steel drums cut in half. 
So being a curious person, he decided to go look unknowingly stumbling into a large marijuana grow operation. According to him, he was like F this and just left. Second story is in rural Alabama, once again, hunting in a new area. Came to what looked like meadow with tall grass. Apparently, he stumbled over what looked to be a cross. When we returned to camp, an inquiry was made about this, and apparently it was an old slave graveyard. It's just weird how the ghosts of history can sneak up on us in weird ways. So this time I wasn't intending on going a hike or camping or anything like that. I'd gone to a state park near my home to just walk on one of the trails they had. So I'm walking along its broad daylight at maybe one in the afternoon when I noticed a side path going off the trail. Now, if you have some experience hiking, you will know about so-called social trails, which are paths made by people to get to interesting sites and such. Well, I figured this was just a forming social trail and go off on it to check out what people are going to see. I don't walk that long or far, far enough that I can't see the established trail anymore, but not so far I can't tell where I am in comparison to the trail if that makes sense. Well, I come this clearing and in the middle of it is a tiny graveyard, maybe ten headstones in all. It was surrounded by a simple wooden fence and had an old rotted wood bench in the front of it. First off, all, let me tell you about the feeling I got from this place. It was sad just so very, very sad. Like you know how in Harry Potter they described the presence of a Dementor being like all the happiness in the world was gone and you could never feel happiness again. Well, that's what it felt like. I went from being in a fairly good mood to... Well, anyways, it was weird. Secondly, the gravestones were old. Some were crumbled and fallen while others were worn and had plant life grown over them. Naturally, I went over and tried to find dates on the stones. Nine out of ten of the stones, words were worn away, but as luck would have it, the last stone wasn't completely worn. I couldn't read it, but as I felt it, I got the person's death date was July 13, 1817. This graveyard was at least almost 200 years old, probably older due to the state of the other markers. After all of these observations, I decided to pay my respects and be on my way. I stayed a little longer, seeing I figured these people hadn't had visitors in a while. There was an old bench that I sat on at the front of this graveyard and rested a moment talking to them, for my own comfort, I guess. Some time passes, and I figure I've bothered the dead's rest long enough, so I leave, find my way back to my trail, and continue my walk. Suddenly my phone goes off six, seven times in a row, and I check. I have seven new messages. My phone was acting like it had been off for the past ten minutes, and suddenly I had reconnected to it again. Weird, but whatever, probably a weird glitch or something. I finished my walk and stopped by the visitor center to buy something from the vending machine and talked to the park rangers there. I have become friends with one of them up there and asked him about the graveyard. He gave me this really confused look and said there isn't any graveyards within the park. I get a serious look and tell him to stop joking, and he just shrugs repeat there were no graveyards within the park. I then explain to him how I'd spent a whole ten minutes sitting at this graveyard. He gets this really confused look this time and said I had been up at the trails for three hours, and he thought I had gone on the ten-mile trail. He saw my car driving past earlier. Checking my phone, I was shocked to see it was 4 p.m. I had been at that graveyard for three hours, and it only felt like it was ten minutes. So turns out my ranger friend has been keeping a logbook of weird experiences and happenings within the park and asked me to write mine. I did and went home. I don't know what happened, guys. Where was I? I'm a biologist, and I had the incredible opportunity to explore the vast wonders of the Amazon rainforest. It was an expedition like no other, surrounded by the lush greenery, diverse wildlife, and the constant excitement of identifying various species of plants and animals. Each day brought new discoveries, 
and I felt like a kid in a never-ending playground of scientific mysteries. As I ventured deeper into the bush, I relished in the joy of identifying trees, birds, monkeys, spiders, and so much more. Every find filled me with exhilaration and a sense of purpose. But then one fateful day, everything changed. I was following a faint trail through the dense undergrowth when I noticed something peculiar moving in the shadows. Curiosity took over, and I moved cautiously closer, my eyes widening in disbelief as I laid eyes on the strangest creature I'd ever encountered. It was like an alien from another world, a surreal manifestation of the Lovecraftian horrors I'd read about in my spare time. This creature defied any classification. It seemed to possess attributes from multiple phyla and species, stitched together in a bizarre and discomforting amalgamation. Its form was utterly incomprehensible, and my brain struggled to process what my eyes were witnessing. It was as if I had stumbled upon a secret of nature that had never been meant for human eyes. The encounter left me speechless, unable to find the right words to describe this unearthly entity. It was beyond any scientific understanding or known taxonomy. I felt a mix of wonder, fear, and reverence for this enigmatic being that seemed to defy the laws of nature. As a biologist, I had dedicated my life to unraveling the mysteries of the natural world, but this encounter had humbled me beyond measure. It was a reminder that no matter how much we know, the universe is bound to be more vast, complex, and unknowable than we can ever comprehend. For days I found myself haunted by the image of that creature, the indescribable beast that had forever altered my perception of the world. I couldn't help but wonder if I was the only human who had laid eyes upon it, or if someone else in some obscure corner of academia had stumbled upon a similar enigma. As I continued my journey through the Amazon, my heart pounded with both trepidation and excitement. The Lovecraftian horror I had encountered had shaken the foundations of my understanding, but it had also ignited a spark of unyielding curiosity. Despite my inability to grasp its nature, I knew that this encounter had changed me as a biologist, as a person. In the heart of the Amazon, I learned that there will always be mysteries lurking in the shadows, waiting for the intrepid souls who dare to explore. The discomforting unknown now beckoned me, and I couldn't help but embrace the awe-inspiring grandeur of a world far more vast and inexplicable than I had ever dreamed. My time slip story happened in the summer of 1987. One night I experienced something that enabled me to see the world through someone else's eyes for no longer than a minute. It scared me senseless at the time, and I have no explanation for the events. All those years ago. The back story is this. My then-girlfriend, we'll call her Helen, lived in a big former vicarage built around the 1800s in a small village in Yorkshire, United Kingdom some miles from my hometown. Her father was a wealthy guy who worked for the government. He bought the house for the family to live in a couple of years earlier and renovated it to bring it back to its former glory. One August weekend, Helen had the house to herself. Her brother and parents were somewhere else. She decided to have a small party. I was instructed to bring my buddy Tim along. It seemed that one of her friends had a thing for him and really wanted to meet him. So the party was me and Tim, my girlfriend, and three of her mates. From university, one of whom was the reason my friend was reluctantly set up to meet. Okay, so the scene has been set. We turn up with a large quantity of beer and an attitude. I did my part by bringing Tim along to meet the girl. However, he then got drunk and embarrassed and failed to fulfill his expected role of sweeping this very pretty but rather dull young woman off her feet. He wasn't concerned about romance and enjoyed himself in his own way. We were twenty, and that night beer and silliness took over. It was a night I will never forget. By midnight, the girls were all in Helen's bedroom, doing what girls do when things happen. 
They were ganging up together and probably having a group anti-men therapy session. At this point, Tim and I were ready to find somewhere to fall into deep sleep. We decided to worry about facing these disappointed women in the morning. I wasn't drunk, but I'd drunk enough beer and didn't want to drive us home. I suggested we find a bed somewhere in this sprawling, rambling old house. Now imagine a house with maybe twelve rooms upstairs. I knew the door to the bathroom and to Helen's room, but every other door was a mystery. Tim and I walked to the end of a passage and pushed open a door. The room was empty except for two small ancient iron beds squeezed against the wall and a few packing crates. There was no carpet on the floor and no other furniture. It was like a small storeroom, but there were beds and we weren't too fussy. In our sleepy state, we just fell asleep. The next thing I knew, I was sitting up in bed, looking out of the window opposite. The window had five bars, upright bars like an old jail. The sun was streaming into the room, and it was blinding me. Outside the window, I could clearly see the branches of a large tree as they moved in what seemed to be a very windy morning. The next thing I realized was that the room was filled with furniture, very old-fashioned furniture. It seemed like a nursery with a rocking horse in the corner, but there was no ceiling, electric light. Not sure why I looked up, but I did and remembered there was no light. As I tried to make sense of where I was, I could hear people moving outside the room. I could also hear the distinct sound of china cups and plates chinking as people carried and served food. I tried to get out of my bed, but I was totally paralyzed from the waist down. My legs wouldn't move, and I panicked. I looked to my right, and there was no other bed, snoring Tim. I was terrified. The door opened, and a young woman walked into the room. She started speaking to me, but no sound came out of her mouth. She was dressed like a servant from a period movie. There was no kindness or smiles. She came in and spoke to me. No idea what she said. And then left. At this point, I was shaking like a leaf and trying to figure out what to do next. I remember thinking I should check the time. I looked down at my watch and everything went dark. I could hear snoring and my digital watch showed it was 3, 10 a.m. Wherever I had been, I was back where I needed to be. I leapt out of bed, felt for the light switch, and turned it on. Everything was 1987 again, confirmed by the language from Tim, who was woken up by the light. The rest of the night passed without incident. First thing in the morning, I was awoken, again, by the sunlight streaming through the window. This time, there were no bars on the window. No tree limbs bending the shafts of light that streamed into the room. It was just an ordinary window. I went downstairs, leaving Tim to sleep. Once the girls had poured me a coffee, I took it outside into the large garden. I needed to see where the tree had gone, the tree that I saw so clearly a few hours before. Helen and her friends followed me outside, and I explained what had happened, that I had seen a huge old tree and bars on the window. The tree was gone, no tree stump anywhere near the building. I saw the small window of our room, and then we saw a rather hungover Tim smiling weakly, waving from the same window, who had heard us talking outside in the garden. The story might have ended there. I believe that for a short period of maybe 30, 45 seconds, I swapped places with a former occupant of that room. At a time when there was no electric light, bars on the window, an old tree beyond the window, and a rather unhappy servant whose voice was on mute. After I told Helen everything, she went quiet and said nothing. Have you ever been to my dad's study? I answered that I had not. She said, follow me, and we walked into a downstairs room where her dad worked and had his den. He collected documents and photographs from the house's history to help him, and the architect renovated it to its former glory. She pointed out a set of five old sepia photographs, which were framed on the wall. The earliest dated from about 1880 through maybe ten years, judging by the ages of the children, of presumably the same family. It shows the resident, the local vicar, sitting in the garden with his wife and family. He was dressed in Victorian dresses, sailor suits, and starched collars. There were, I think, eight children, and one was in an ancient wheelchair. 
They were all arranged in front of a huge oak tree behind which the window of our time, slip room, clearly had bars. The boy in the wheelchair looked about twelve and was clearly very disabled. He didn't appear in any of the later photos on the wall. So that's my story. People will say, yeah, the guy had been drinking, I had, but no amount of German beer and Marlboro's, there were no drugs involved, would cause me to experience what I did. The weirdest thing about the whole event was that it felt hyper-real, like everything was turned up on a TV. Contrast, brightness, color, everything except the volume on the grumpy servant. I will never forget how terrifying the whole thing was to me. I haven't had anything like that happen to me again, nor do I want to repeat it. My experience left me fascinated by the time slip stories that I know you enjoy. However, I had a genuine wish to never again pass through whatever dimensional or time-space curtain exists. And it really does exist. I was running along a trail in the woods behind a park and decided to go farther than I had in the past. So I was running along and there was this old beaten stuffed animal sitting alongside the path. Kind of weird, but I kept going. A little farther along the path, there was a weathered doll sitting on a stump. They weren't super visible, but enough to catch your eye as you went past. I kept running and then turn a corner to see a couple dozen stuffed animals and dolls stabbed to and hanging from the trees. Safe to say, I promptly turned around. In high school, we moved into the middle of nowhere. Our house was surrounded by hills and woods. I loved going on walks with my dog. There was one incident that freaked me out really bad. It was just me and my dog. We were a good hour away from the house or anyone else. My dog usually led the way, always knew the best paths. Out of nowhere, she turns to the right and goes completely tense. Her back fur ruffled and she started growling. A minute later, I could hear them. A whole pack of coyotes. I couldn't see them, but it sounded like they were very close. Next thing I know, my girl takes off through the woods. I yelled at her to come back, but the next thing I know, she's gone, and I hear this awful dogfight and then silence. I didn't know what to do, and right when I started to panic, my girl comes tail wagging, not a scratch on her. She loved on me and then led me home. Best dog I've ever had. She passed away this year. Don't think I'll be able to walk the woods without her. Grew up in rural western Pennsylvania, outside of Pittsburgh. Lots of strange things in the woods out there, from abandoned sulfur mines to hermit shacks. The strangest thing we ever came across was a little house in the middle of nowhere. No road, no driveway, but it wasn't a shack. It was a house, like a suburban house. It always freaked us out, and we left it alone. Never saw anyone there, and looked abandoned, but not yet run down. So, fast forward a couple years. We're older and bored. One day, we decide we are going in. There is no boogeyman here. But it still freaks me out to this day. We go in through the kitchen, and it was normal. In the living room was a beautiful old player piano, like a big one. Then we realized the room has nothing in it but the piano and boxes. Lots of boxes. In the boxes are the rolls for the player piano. The rolls are paper inserts that the piano reads to play the song. So the living room is stacked with these things, like floor to ceiling. So we go upstairs and it's the same thing. Piano rolls everywhere. Stacked on the bed, under it in the closets, from floor to ceiling in places. I remember starting to get really freaked out. I still do. The vibe was all wrong. There was a point when we went back into the kitchen and my buddy opened some cabinets. All piano rolls. We sprinted away from that place like it was on fire. Always stayed away from that part of the woods. My roommate and I are house hunting. 
We went to one that just kept calling to us every time we opened our apps. Boom, it was right there in our faces. We both felt like something was a little bit off about it, but finally we caved and said, sure, we'll go tour it. We get to the house. We're all around it. Everything seems fine. Garage is boring. Paint's peeling. Boards outside are rotting, etc. So that was a turnoff for us. We started to go back toward the front of the house, and I noticed the back door was wide open. I thought that was odd, as literally anyone could just walk in and squat. I got a funny feeling, like I was being watched as we walked past it, going back to the front of the house. Well, we went inside anyway, just to see it, since we were there, and our realtor put in the effort to get us a showing. Everything was fine, it was a cute little place, but that's just it. It was little. There was basically no living room, but enough about that. I'll get into the actual experience now. We walk through the place, and we get to the basement stairs. There's no door to them. Just in the back behind the kitchen, there's a small hallway that has the door to the backyard, and at the other end, an open doorway, and then the stairs down. Instantly, I felt my hair stand up on the back of my neck, and I felt scared to even look down the stairs. My roommate looks at me and said I feel it too. Maybe I had a look on my face or something. I don't know. We go down the stairs, and I said out loud to say, please don't touch me. I'm just here to look. Our realtor looked a bit uncomfortable, too. We get to the bottom of the stairs and the oppressive feeling backs off, leaving in its place the feeling of still being watched, but by something that feels scared. Almost like a scared child. We look in the bathroom, the two bedrooms, and once I got to the closet in the second room, the I'm scared feeling got stronger. Not like me being scared, but whatever was down there with us. I walked out of the room and straight across the living room down there. There was a very small area, about the size of a small closet, with half of an original concrete wall. I instantly felt an overwhelming dread and almost burst into tears. Then I felt the oppressive one come back, full force. While it wasn't audible, it felt like it was screaming at me to get the hell out of its space. I ran out of the basement so fast... Once back upstairs, it was almost normal feeling. We went up to the loft in the attic, and it actually felt quite comfortable, until we turned to go back down the stairs to the main floor. The lights were all off when we went up, so my roommate flipped the switch to turn them back off. They flickered, then all went off except the one above him. He flipped them back on, but nothing changed. Flipped the switch back down, no change. That one light stayed on. We went back to the main floor living room, the realtor asking what we thought. My roommate kept looking toward the basement. We finally went back outside and decided we weren't taking this house. Roommate and I got in the car and I asked him if he was okay. He said it followed us everywhere after the basement. Oh, and apparently I said, don't worry, I'll find it when I walked out of the closet into the concrete wall. Now... I've been having a nightmare nearly every night since we were at that house. I'm trapped in that corner. I'm screaming nonstop. It's dark and I'm in so much pain. I think something terrible happened there. But why am I dreaming as if it's me experiencing it? 